0: Welcome back to cookie pocket. This podcast is about film Uh, today is episode 39 and we are going to be talking about the ninth configuration Uh, Now as is pretty typical for the films that I select this is kind of a complicated movie, but to, to boil the plot down it is essentially about a There's an abandoned castle in the Pacific Northwest in America that during the latter days of the Vietnam War has been converted into a essentially an asylum Uh, for veterans of the war who are showing signs of mental instability and it's rather a unique establishment in that these patients are Essentially just allowed to do whatever they want Um, Until a new military psychiatrist by the name of Colonel Kane is invited to the establishment And tries to find a way to kind of whip the the patients into shape and find a way to cure them Uh, All the while it becomes more and more apparent though that Colonel Kane might be dealing with some underlying mental instability of his own. Um, righto. Why don't we start, as we always do, with overall thoughts? Uh, Mitchell, Christian, what did you guys think of the ninth configuration?
1: Well, I, I'm not going to say that this was a bad movie, because I don't think it was a bad movie. But I didn't particularly enjoy it, and I had immense difficulty keeping up with it. I would say that I preferred the first half to the second half. Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I I liked the, uh, the tense conversations, at least at the beginning, yet uh, as, as things went on, I don't know, I, I had difficulty following the, the purpose of it, and yet at the same time, I found it a little bit predictable. Like, I I, I surmised pretty early on that um, the psychiatrist, that they would have this idea that maybe he's the crazy one, mm-hmm. because I, I honestly could not imagine any other way that it could have gone um, in terms of plot following anything. And once we got to the bar, it just felt discordant. And I think there's there's probably a very good chance that this is an amazing film that I'm just missing out on as a viewer. Okay. But um, I I would say I, I was probably not in the best uh, mindset to receive this. And I'm going to make a callback to when we discussed The Phantom Carriage. It just felt like homework to me. I, I felt like I was... I was being demanded to submit more effort than I wanted to submit, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether that's um, justified or not. I I did not entirely enjoy this, but I will say um, I think Stacy Keach's uh, turns in a great performance. Okay. George C. Scott wishes he was that good. Oh jeez. Um,
0: actually, it's weird I, you mentioned George C. Scott because <laughs> he's in the only other movie that William Peter Blatty ever directed. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. weird. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Interesting. I had to get that, that one little ribbon there. I, I suppose uh, so. You know, I, I think on a rewatch I probably would understand it better and enjoy it more. But uh, as things stand, I gave it a 2.5 because I wasn't thoroughly impressed with it or really grasped by it at any point. And I I usually expect some degree of something to latch onto as opposed to slowly drifting away as it carried on, I guess. All right.
0: There seems to be a trend that the movies I I, I pick for this <laughs> podcast end up being homework to
2: Christian. But um, all right, M- Mitchell, what, what did you think of the film? I had a lot of fun doing this homework. Great. Mr. Zach. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I, you an I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> just because of my enthusiasm. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I I almost, I was very, I was close on the verge of giving this a four and a half. But wow. I decided to give it a four, mostly because of the ending. Um, but uh, I almost loved this. I really liked it, though. I'm reserving my love. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the it was, first of all, in 1980, this is kind of a risky, uh, you know, a lot of risky themes <laughs> going mm-hmm. on. They automatically just start talking about Vietnam, which is already still kind of controversial. Um, and they're also addressing religion directly. Um and there's multiple references to Nazism in it as well, yeah. um, and just just very extreme themes. Um, and for that, it's to be applauded, especially as to how good a lot of the writing is, um, particularly in the second half, which I liked much better than the first half. Yeah. Um, my one of my main criticisms with the first half is that um, even though I enjoyed a lot of the random, you know, craziness of the crazies, um, and a lot of their scenes to me were really funny um i feel like they're kind of just funny on their own like as like situational things like just because they're crazy you can really do a lot with that um comedy wise mm-hmm. and um i don't know it just felt like it almost it was like a dirty dozen catch-22 mixture and i've never watched catch-22 but i read the book um and this definitely kind of feels like a similar yeah setup um in a lot of ways i could see that yeah and um and it's kind of a problem that Catch-22 would have. I haven't seen the film, but I would guess it would have, is trying to make it where it's like, ha, ah, this is just like a realistic situation with, you know, just a few crazy people. And all of a sudden, like, everybody becomes a philosopher in Catch-22. It's mm-hmm. like, like, hmm, but I did this. If I go on this many missions, and this will happen. It's like, how do you know about paradoxes and stuff, you know? Um, but in this case, I feel like it suffers a little bit from that. It kind of overhypes the... the um, uh, the, the crazies knowing a little bit too much um, but also I, I also feel like the plot really does stand on its own anyway um, and I feel like uh, what's his name I'm, I'm blanking on his name now Cutshaw right uh,
0: uh, Cutshaw and Kane yeah they're kind of the two main characters
2: yeah. um, Cutshaw's character is really Scott Wilson is a very memorable performance yeah. and I've seen him as Herschel in Walking Dead and this yeah. <laughs> that doesn't hold a candle to this Um. <laughs> But uh, and then Kane obviously was a really really convincing character. He had um, his his kind of straight faced stuff. Kind of felt I, I would disagree with Christian on this. By the way, um, early on it's like oh yeah it seems like he's kind of crazy. But I feel like I thought he was trying to be stoic to to come at them at, with a blank slate so that he would be able to like train it out of them or kind of come at their level to understand how they feel. Mm-hmm. Only to find out that they if anything are way way better off psychologically than he is (laughs) by far um and that i think is a bigger twist in general than just finding out that he was the patient of the whole thing um i feel like that idea is is really the the meat of the matter um but overall i feel like the themes it approaches are really cool i feel like this is kind of a different exorcist and a lot of the bigger themes because exorcist is kind of proving it's kind of a quote unquote, proving that God doesn't exist because um, I just got possessed. So I guess, (laughs) I guess nobody's going to help me now, you know, just being really fatalistic. Um, And I think that's a really cool, uh, it's a really cool and very disturbing, (laughs) um, you know, approach. And I feel like showing it through this through a more grounded appeal with war and, the you know the absence and loneliness of space being equivalent to humanity and things like that and Mm -hmm. i just think that there's there's really a lot of meat to to what they're talking about and most of the time i think it really does a good job portraying it in a digestible form to the audience um through this crazy story of disjointed events (laughs) yeah wow i'm
0: i'm I'm really glad that you got that much out of this Mitchell. um Mm -hmm. i was worried this was going to be like a Another one of Zach's weird movies, and that was going to be the end of that. Um, Oh, it still is. Don't worry. Okay, all right. Um, So I will say that this was the second time that I had seen this film. I watched it a couple years ago, and I will say that I was kind of in the boat of I enjoyed the second half way more than the first. The first time I watched it, the end scene in the bar kind of made the whole movie for me, because I still think (laughs) that that end scene where Kane snaps and just as you might say goes ham on that entire uh that entire biker gang i think that scene is awesome i i love that scene uh when he reaches up and grabs the glass and breaks it um i still think that that is a a really dramatic and 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 really exciting scene um but i will say that when you watch it a second time the first time i watched it the first half didn't really work for me because it kind of felt just like random chaos and it felt like there wasn't really a through line when you watch it a second time it becomes apparent that that first half is actually laying a lot more threads and a lot more seeds for the reveal of Colonel Kane actually being Killer Kane than you might expect. It's kind of like The Sixth Sense where you watch it the first time and then at the end, spoiler, you find out that Bruce Willis is dead and then you kind of have to watch it a second time to see if that works throughout the first half as well. I think it's a similar case here where once you know Colonel Kane is Killer Kane The first half, I think, clicks together and works a lot better on a review, because you can see all the little seeds and clues that are being laid throughout those interactions with the patients and just his roaming around the castle. Uh, So I I really do think this is a solid movie. Very, very well-written script by William Peter Blatty. I give it a four out of five. Um, But let's talk about Blatty, actually, because William Peter Blatty, who wrote and directed this movie, um, was primarily a novelist by trade. Um, That was kind of what he was known for. He wrote The Exorcist, which kind of put him on the map and gave him Sort of the clout to to make the ninth configuration as a movie Uh, What did you guys think of? I, I guess I'll phrase this as do you think William Peter Blatty being primarily a writer and a novelist Does that have a major impact on how this film comes across to you? Do you think it feels like a movie written by somebody who primarily deals with words before images do you think that has an effect
1: yeah I do I do think it feels like that and I do think it has an effect um, though I'm not certain that that effect is unilaterally positive or negative mm-hmm. um how do i how do I want to put this i I enjoyed the bits I enjoyed the most in the first half or maybe more of a middle third I guess in the first half but uh were uh, when when Kane was was beginning to grow more existential and we got we got bits of dialogue that felt sort of like a Ray Bradbury short story where where they where they're talking about the existentiality or or how how love can exist or mm-hmm. different segments like that and that felt to me a lot like something out of a book as opposed to your typical screenplay and so that was a strength for me I would say but uh, at the same time, I would say a negative was that every conversation structurally and uh, in terms of importance felt the same to me. It didn't really feel like stakes varied at all for the first hour. It was just a lot of talking. And, f- and from a literary perspective, I guess that's not a problem. But when you're presenting a lot of exchanges on screen, I think uh, some variety does well to keep the viewer in tune, and and aside from different hijinks from the uh, admitted, um, I, I guess veterans with with um, <laughs> various mental issues, I, I would say as, aside from that there wasn't a lot to to uh, distinguish uh, the earlier conversations. So uh, I guess in different spots you would call it both a strength and a weakness, but definitely something stylistic of note. Okay. All right. I'd say
2: it's easier to develop like, really complicated ideas about humanity in writing than it is in film in general. Um, and, it's, and it's even easier It's easier to portray it on screen than it is um, in writing, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could uh, it, uh, easier to portray <laughs> it in the sense that the average person could understand it um, in film than in writing. And uh, I feel like a lot of the, the bigger ideas kind of flesh out later on. And, um, I feel like the earlier conversations feel much more, um, like you were kind of saying, Zach, like chaotic and meaningless. Um, and I feel like those underlying themes, like one thing I caught, like that was a visual kind of, uh, I guess foreshadowing or indication, um, was that Cutshaw's, like, he kept wearing a costume yeah. But he was wearing his costume over his uniform. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, it was only after we find out that Kane was the McCrazy, McCrazy boy at the end, <laughs> um, is when Cutshaw's uniform is on. Yeah. Um, and I think that just that tiny visual thing, there's a lot of subtlety to that and subtlety to their conversations. Um, underneath all of the, you know, like the inkblot thing and the yeah. the, the hog on the wall or whatever, the, the boar on the wall. Yeah. Um, and the, the other crazies as well, as supplementary dark comedy, I guess. Um, that dark comedy would be a lot harder to portray in writing. Um, I think it's a lot much easier to portray in film, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really apparent that it was a novelist just by virtue of the fact that he was addressing these extreme ideas and having these you know, very complicated conversations that, in my opinion, um, progressively get more interesting and easily to under, easier to understand as the film unravels.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, so I would say that a a lot of filmmakers, especially if they're screenwriter uh, directors, um, are great with visuals and dialogue ends up being kind of a weakness. Um, I think that Blatty really succeeds when it comes to dialogue because of that novelist background. Mm -hmm. That being said, I do think he has some good visual moments in this movie, Um, more so than his, his only other movie after the Ninth Configuration was Exorcist III, which was based off his own book, Legion. Um, and I am a huge fan of Exorcist III. I think it's got some incredible monologues and some incredible back and forth, but it, it, it kind of lacks the visual interest of this movie. I think this movie has moments which are shot really, really well. Um, after the wind, Cutshaw breaks the window to uh, Kane's office at one point, and after that you get so many shots that are through that window where Kane is framed on one side and then like uh, another character or psychiatrist will be framed on the other and you really get that feeling that visual feeling of division between the characters because of that. So I do think there there are definitely visual notes in, in costuming like you mentioned Mitchell and cinematography that are really interesting here. But the strength I think is in those character monologues and the back and forth dialogue. There are lo- there's lots of quick little witty lines that are that are easy to miss. Um, when I watched this a second time I picked up lots of stuff for the first time um, That I that made it feel like oh wow, there's there's still something to, to get out of this movie um, an immediate example to me is um, Jason Miller plays a patient who is choreograph, who's directing Shakespeare for dogs um, yeah. And there's lots of great moments of back and forth between him and his like assistant director <laughs> where they're talking about who to cast Like, oh, I want a Labrador, I want a poodle, well, I can get you a Doberman. A Doberman? How dare you? Like, lots of funny back and forth there. Um, But then, at the same time, Jason Miller has that great monologue where he discusses Hamlet. Um, And you get that feeling of how Hamlet's evoked madness could potentially relate to Kane or relate to the other patients in this situation. Um, So I I think... It kind of feels like a play, in a way where you can do visually interesting things with a play but the focus is very much on the performers and the dialogue and i don't think every movie should be like that but i think it works here um we mentioned tone quite a bit as well i mentioned things that i found funny so did you mitchell um and christian you mentioned being engrossed by comedic and intense moments so i I do want to talk about what do you think this movie is Do you think this is a comedy? Do you think it's a drama? In some markets, it was advertised as a horror movie. Do you think anything in this could apply as a horror movie? If you were to categorize this movie, what do you think it would fall into?
1: (laughs) Oh boy, we're going down the rabbit hole again. Uh, (laughs) Zach, uh, you and I in particular, Zach, I feel have a tendency to interpret things differently as viewers. And I don't think that that's a testament to to the strength of the medium's message. I just think we tend to receive things differently yes i think most recently was uh mitchell shared a satirical headline about about harrison ford hiring a stunt double to go upstairs for him or something and i was just <laughs> i was just sitting there going wow this is sad frowny face and zach said wow this is depressing and i'm laughing hysterically <laughs> about it <laughs> i think that kind that's of that's a sums good it analogy yeah. yeah that is a yeah. yeah, yeah, good yeah. example There were moments I found comedic, for sure. Like, the the Shakespeare with the dogs was funny. But I would say, in a more overarching sense, I found this more dramatic than comedic. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very much open to the way anyone as an audience member is inclined to receive anything that they watch or consume. Mm -hmm. I feel
2: like the first half is kind of just setting up the, the, uh, I guess, like the farce, kind of just pretending that this is something that it really isn't um, and then kind of getting into the psychological dramatic pieces later on. Um, I guess I would consider this like a psychological drama or a thriller, I guess. But Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know about a horror movie. I I feel like it's, it's really more concerned about philosophy and theology. Than anything having to do with scaring people, <laughs> yeah. I guess it scares people the the deep void of space. But more more of as an idea rather than just showing the, the void of space with you know Jesus on the cross and everything. Although that's a very in- intriguing psychological aesthetic, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I yeah. I don't think this is. I don't think this is a horror movie at all. I, I definitely feel like it's more of a think piece drama thing.
0: Yeah, I can definitely agree with you there. I think there's one shot in this that genuinely creeps me out, but I think it doesn't feel like it's from a horror movie. It, the The shot where Kane is in Vietnam and it's raining and he's holding the the boy's severed head in his lap as it yeah. cranes up on him. That shot, th- that shot, that shot always, oh, no. always <laughs> sends a shiver down my spine. That that shot really does disturb me, because um, I think yeah. that's that's a really unsettling idea but it doesn't feel like it's from a horror movie it, it feels like it's from a war drama um i think i think it's appropriate that this movie mentions hamlet so much because in tone it does kind of feel like shakespeare mm-hmm. because yeah. shakespeare has he'll have like a really dramatic play where very serious disturbing things happen and then you'll have rosencrantz and Guildenstern or other <laughs> comedic characters who are just a total farce who are just doing bizarre, comedic things in the background. I, I think this movie has that kind of vibe, where it's able to mix a lot of kind of absurd comedy with really dramatic, heavy topics. Uh, kind of a sub-question, do you think any of those... I guess, I guess if I was to categorize it, I'd say it's like a psychological farce, but um, do you think any of those elements, any of those kind of sprinkle of comedic here, sprinkle of drama here, do you think those ever clash or take away from each other?
2: I feel like it falls pretty well into the whole message the film's trying to give about fatalism and, and things like that and just how meaningless everything is. You can really go far <laughs> in art <laughs> than saying how meaningless and sad and and, you know, just, just pointless all of life and goodness is and there's no goodness in the world and things like that. And I think you can do a lot with those ideas. So kind of just having these crazies doing you know, just absolutely absurd things and then having, um, Kane just sit there and just stare at them is mm-hmm. a really in interest, interesting and very well integrated, um, you know, I guess subgenre <laughs> or something. Uh, and I think it plays in really well. I think there's very few moments where I feel like, why are they trying to be funny here? This is supposed to be sad. And I'm just thinking like, this is really, really dark and I'm just going to keep that lens the entire time. So,
1: yeah, I pretty much agree. I think it serves to keep the viewer more attentive, if anything. I I think uh, my (laughs) slightly critical notes of having trouble keeping up with it would be compounded if it was all just very tonally Mm -hmm. the same the entire time. So I I would call that mostly a strength, I I guess. I don't have much more to add. I think Mitchell summed it up nicely. Yeah,
0: okay. Like, I you. (laughs) <laughs> I, I agree with that I just yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I have heard from people who think that the sillier moments take away from the drama I, I really disagree with that but I, I wanted to check up before we proceed um, before we proceed to the big one uh, this is the big cannoli of a question for this film uh, we've mentioned before that there's lots of religious imagery and lots of religious themes throughout this oh, film right. William Peter Blatty, um, was a very Catholic man, uh, he went to Georgetown University as a student and he attended as a professor. He wrote The Exorcist, which he described as a sermon that no one could possibly sit through. So, what do you think that this movie is trying to say about faith and religion?
2: Christian can uh. go first. <laughs> uh.
1: I think this is worth discussing,
0: though, because it, it sounds like I interpreted this in a very different way to you, Mitchell, and I, I do want to discuss okay. this.
1: Okay. Oh, well, maybe the problem is I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> um, I, I, like Mitchell said, it grapples with a lot of big questions that are interesting and conceptual and theoretical capacities and are certainly daring to to grapple with given the time period and whatever expectations there are placed around the director or the film or the performers or whatever. But I think it's easy to approach something with a a general sense of existentialism or nihilism, but it's much harder to approach something with a more specific message about all these things that you're confronting. And I cannot give you a a concise opinion about what it is that we're trying to say about it, because I had quite honestly a difficulty following everything that was happening and i i don't know maybe that's a weakness of the film or me as a viewer but i i could not tell you whether this was pro or anti-catholic or or what have you i i think uh and i'm not saying that it needs to be uh it needs to hit you over the head with its specificity because that wouldn't suit the film totally at all either but uh i i i still could not tell you exactly what it was they were trying to communicate
2: is this your last question zach
0: this is the last question before we go on overall thoughts yes
2: okay i want to talk about the ending and i feel like the ending is less conclusive than you may think zach i think that is left up to the viewer after us viewing them struggle with these ideas and then leaving it up to the viewer at the end is a really good way to conclude it because i don't think it was concluded that that was the actual cross of his because he looked at it and was overjoyed and that overjoy could come from two different things it could be overjoyed that wow i was wrong the whole time and kane was right that there is a God, there is an afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. Or he's overjoyed that he was correct in his original assumption and that he was living his life up to that point on with that assumption and he was correct, so he has nothing to regret. So you'd be happy about that. And that's why I think it's kind of a dual way of looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. And in that sense, I'm going to take that and run with it and say that I feel like the film bef- before the ending was a lot more conclusive about the idea that Cain was wrong um, versus leaving it up to the viewer. And I feel like it was kind of getting on with that fact that Kane's assumption that there wasn't an afterlife and that his faith was valid and all these things, because there's tons of indications that him going to Vietnam and struggling with all of these things and the faith, key, the, the faith being the one thing that was keeping him from going crazy ended up just being a farce, just like the dark comedy in the beginning. And um, I feel like that makes a lot more sense to me as an audience member. And that's kind of what I feel like it was trying to say. I'm not saying that it's trying mm-hmm. to write off faith necessarily. I'm just saying that I feel like it was it was kind of writing off faith as being something that you shouldn't necessarily totally rely on, I guess, and that um, that it's it's not something that you can it's not something that you can confront people with and make them feel the same way as you. It's not something that you can necessarily, um, you know, not 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 something necessarily that should be like, held as, like, this is the reason why everything is good. And then um him, what's-his-name, coming back and being like, well, I, are, you, are you saying there's something good? Look at the situation we're in right now, and look mm-hmm. what just happened in Vietnam. Right? So, I feel like that's a really good argument against the if there's an existence of good, and I feel like there's there's a lot of empathy that you can feel with someone who's lost faith in that sense. So, ultimately, I feel like it's addressing a mess, it's, it's addressing something with, that you can empathize with someone that lost faith versus someone that doesn't have any faith and i feel like that's a big distinction that we should mention so that's a
1: good point
0: here's the interesting thing mitchell i agree with you but i don't agree with you that that's what the movie is saying okay Um, okay because i think for one thing i think that the ending is definitely meant to imply that kane was right because i i feel that if that wasn't uh kane's saint christopher medal I feel like that would be and and or I feel like if if cut at the end if his reaction was I was right beforehand um, If that was a reaction to that I feel like that's a very unusual reaction because that would a reaction would essentially say My friend who sacrificed himself to save my life and my sanity died for nothing But at least I was right like and that that doesn't really feel like a happy smile freeze-frame ending to me um, well, that feels well, like more of a, a de- like a like a hanging head like there is nothing ending, which is which is a much more depressing way to interpret it. I think that I think that Blatty wants this ending to say there is a god, religion is real. This character has proved it to this other character, and and that's our will to go on. It doesn't necessarily say that to me. To me, it says that in a world where, and The Exorcist kind of brings this up as well, because Blatty's, like, lasting contribution to The Exorcist was, I don't want him to think the devil won. Um, Which he said in an interview (laughs) at one point. But um, I think kind of the point of this movie is that in a world where one man is willing to sacrifice himself to save the life and potentially the soul of another, that has to be for something, If it's for an afterlife, or a god, or religion, maybe it's just for the good of itself, but it has to be for some kind of goodness, and proves that the world isn't just random evil acts. There's some kind of good in the world, even if it's just motivated by mankind's individual acts of sacrifice. I I think that's the way I read it. Um, I do think Blatty wants it read in a more optimistic religious light, though. You, You had something else to contribute, though, Mitchell.
2: Yeah. I was going to say that Cutshaw is not necessarily a, a, a totally, um, like, reliable source of, of emotion. Mm, yes, um, yes, yes, And he even calls, he, like, when he's with the other Marine, he's like, oh, I heard this stuff happen here. And he was like, he was a lamb. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and um, And I guess there is some implication that because he's back in the service that he must have been qualified to come back into the service. But I do feel like a lot of the discussion that he was having up to that point wasn't, was was partially a source of his insanity and partially a source of his actual true feelings inside. And I feel like that's very consistent throughout all the way until the end. Um, so, and then once again, you could just be left with the fact that it's just viewer interpretation um, with the ending. So,
0: I, I guess so. I, I think my, I think maybe the root of my, my issue with your interpretation is that if. If that's the case, then that kind of entirely negates the climax of the movie, and it negates Kane's sacrifice in order to shock Cutshaw back into sanity, because that, that's what he does within the narrative by killing himself. He provides Cutshaw with that shock that within the logic of the film allows him to regain his sanity, and if if there's nothing and he did that for no real reason according to the movie, then I feel that that really lessens kind of the entire impact of everything from the bar to the end, which is what I think Blatty wants to be the main uh, message deliverer of the film. Okay. Well, we
2: could also argue that um, Kane going there and trying to, to bring good on the situation that was very clearly bad on its face was also futile. Um, by as we find out by the twist, so, but it's all it's all up to interpretation, yes. subjective yeah, yeah. objective. Yes, and I could I can also <laughs> argue
1: that this uh, back and forth is one of my greater issues with the film. I, <laughs> I would like some clarity here, though. I after hearing you guys talk, I think I do think uh, the religious angle probably makes the most sense to me. But just that there's there there's a lot to follow here in terms of recommending this to another audience member i'd hesitate because there is there's a ton of investment here and and clearly even when you are invested you can come away with mixed or different messages than others which i think is probably more of a weakness than a strength at least in the context of this because as you said zach i think he is trying to deliver a specific message even if it's not received that way by everyone
0: yeah i i don't i don't necessarily think that's a I think when you're making a movie that deals with religious themes, everybody interprets religion and faith in such a different way that I don't think there's really an ironclad way of making your film clear unless you just erase subtext and make everything text. Which I feel like, like, just because because religion is such a subjective thing and everybody's going to interpret it in a different way, I don't really think there would be any way that bladdy could make sure there was like a definite certainty to what the ending meant to everybody i do think to him though it was optimistic
1: yeah no i and i'm not saying it should be like a hoorah go catholicism thing but (laughs) if if it is like a yay go god or go a higher power thing then i think that's both accommodating enough to a wider span of beliefs and understandings of spirituality and religion whilst also delivering a more specific message. If that makes sense. Okay. But I see where, I see where you're coming from as well.
2: I think it's bringing, ultimately I feel like it's bringing more light to, to themes that are not necessarily addressed at the angle in which they were in the film. That's, that's how I really feel about it. I don't necessarily feel like it was all pro anything mm-hmm. or all against anything. Um, I just feel like it was talking about themes in a way that was very, very, controversial and then also you know using extremist ideas and kind of just mixing in all these other plot points and i think to christian that may seem you know convoluted and annoying and possibly (laughs) incredibly hard to understand but um in my opinion i feel like it was it, it, it was a lot more cohesive than it may seem um and maybe i'll enjoy it even more the second time i watch it so all right this
0: is very bizarre i'm not used to being kind of the least nihilistic person when it comes to interpreting a movie. Um, All right. Well, I guess, do we have any final thoughts on the ninth configuration before we move on to the weekend review?
1: Those are my final thoughts forever. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll just say I do do resent the idea that I approach all of Zach's picks as homework because that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) Even for Cookie Pocket, when I'm watching a film, my first priority as a viewer is to enjoy it. Not even to criticize it or to, or to sum it up in a qualitative manner, but just to enjoy it. That really is my first priority whenever I'm consuming a film or a TV show or anything. So I, I, I just want to stress that to Zach and our viewers. I don't, I don't hate old films or horror films or what have <laughs> you. And I think it's uh, likely that I would appreciate this more now that I have a, an understanding <laughs> for what actually occurred but uh, I, I found it a little too demanding this time
0: okay all right um I, I think i've i've summed up my overall thoughts on the film throughout i just want want to mention uh, once again uh, there are monologues in this i really really love if you can find if you if you're not even interested in the movie but you just want to find the monologues i think they're great they'd be great like high school theater class pieces i think <laughs> that that end monologue with um where cutshaw talks about why he didn't want to go to space because he was worried about being in emptiness and dying in emptiness and if there's nothing after death then that's true emptiness forever that's that's great that that monologue always gets to me and i wish i could perform that on stage um Mm -hmm. but yeah i i really do recommend this for for the script if for nothing else um all right let's move on then to the week in review this is a new segment we had for season two where we talk about media we have consumed since the last episode what have you guys been watching
2: Christian, you want to do the? Do you have your own thing or?
1: You do it. I've I've started everything today. I'm <laughs> that, rebelling that is true, now. I think.
2: All right, ah. we're we're doing it. We're doing it, Zach. So, RoboCop. Yay. Ah, yes. Okay. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we all went to another undisclosed location, um, at a castle in the Pacific Northwest, yes. and we watched I RoboCop rented. and the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> Zach can introduce this because it was him that hosted
0: oh okay um well yes so the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension is one of my all-time favorite movies um and i had said that for a long time and christian actually uh a couple months ago said i want to see the adventures of buckaroo bonsai i think it's about time we saw one of your favorite movies so I said okay, and I, I made. stand a, by
1: that, Zach. I stand by that.
0: I made a Peter Weller night where we watched RoboCop and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension back to back, um, and I, I, I guess if I guess if we're all giving our thoughts on these, um, I mean I, I I enjoy both movies. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai though is very very close to my heart. It's it's a movie that I describe as sheer stuff and nonsense. Um, but it's, it's crafted so lovingly and with such a, such a caring hand and such a delicate hand for the little cult details, it, it feels to me, I, I've heard about people who are huge fans of comic books going into the cinema and watching an adaptation of their favorite character up on the screen, um, and they feel like it was made for them. And, and Buckaroo Bonsai has no source material, but every time I watch it, it feels like it's a movie made for the characters I made up in my imagination when I was a kid, just playing with, like, Imaginext. Um, it, I I absolutely love it. It makes me a kid again. I laugh throughout pretty much every single second of the movie when we watched it last night. Four out of five, I can't recommend it enough.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm just going to butt in because I don't have much to say, but it's basically the exact opposite of what Zach just said. <laughs> And I think most of Zach's enjoyment comes from the fact that everyone else around him has no idea well, oh, what's man. happening. Um, part, it has to be part of it. It, has
2: to be it part is of definitely that's part of it, Zach. Part of it is that though, <laughs> though,
0: once you've watched it, you're in on the joke. So now you can show this to people and laugh at them. <laughs>
2: Okay. okay my no, question I'm... is what am i in on and, and what's the joke i don't exactly i don't you're, I don't in, understand. On nothing.
0: you're, you're in on, on the watermelon you're in on john no. big booty you're in on we're going home real soon go all ahead christian
1: it's all self-contained and it, it means nothing to i'm just going to read my letterbox review because it sums <laughs> up everything i feel about it fairly concisely completely impossible to understand or enjoy in a literal capacity Unless you have a remarkable tolerance or masochism for being strung along, this entire film feels like an inside joke against the audience member that attempts to make sense of it. 1.5 out of 5.
2: Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo.
0: I responded Uh, with, I am sure in the miserable annals of Letterboxd, you will be (laughs) duly inscribed."
2: Yes,
1: Yes, and that means exactly as much as our our viewers probably assume it means. Absolutely nothing. Oh. (laughs) It's fun.
2: Oh, God. Okay, uh... I agree that there are some parts that are fun, and um, I I like what the film is trying to accomplish, and I like that the fact that it's trying to make a lot out of nothing, and that it's 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 really standing on its own legs uh, in, in a lot of the in jokes that it's making about the source material that doesn't exist, and I feel like that's a great thing, um, except that that is a thing, so I feel like that that is also its curse, the fact that you are automatically limited by the fact that you're getting something out of nothing. So the only substance that there is is what's actually being portrayed on the screen. And if what's being portrayed on the screen is silliness and geek references and all this other stuff that's like you know, clearly you know, taking from other films of the time of the genres and just mashing it all together um, and just making everything really spontaneous and, and trying to be fun, I feel like you can't get out of the spontaneous and trying to be fun idea. Um, I don't feel like the film can carry that much weight. Um, uh, it can't, can't carry its own weight towards the end in that sense. So I, I really like the idea. I like the concept, but I just can't imagine it being executed any better than average. That's why I gave it a 3 out of 5.
0: Perhaps. I, I will admit that I have never met anybody who enjoyed this film as much as I did. I've shown this <laughs> film to quite a few petri dishes of people, and everybody has come away giving me dirty looks and refused to talk to me <laughs> for the next hour or two, at least. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it's a film that only appeals to a very niche audience.
2: Okay, okay. And Peter Weller just makes a face the whole time. Yeah. I
0: like Peter Weller. I think he's, he's a charming, charismatic man, and I think that that stoicism really brings something to the character that you wouldn't get if, say, Jeff Goldblum played him. I don't think Jeff yeah. Goldblum's Buckaroo Bonsai. Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum is... I wish is, he was. Jeff Goldblum is Dr. Sidney Zweibel. He works perfectly in that role. I think if you made him Buckaroo Banzai, it would take away part of that dynamic. Um,
1: okay. Yeah, but let's... Also, the first six notes of that theme is literally just the Star Wars main title theme. He keeps mentioning but, yeah. that. Yeah, he does keep whatever. mentioning
2: that. Yeah. I was mentioning that the, towards the end, like the last 20 minutes, I was mentioning that this is like watching Infinity War after never seeing any Marvel superhero movie ever. Yeah. So, so terrible. That's exactly what it feels that's like.
0: That's a yes. great comparison, and that's why I love it. Because <laughs> instead of being restricted by this this preceding material oh. that actually exists, you're only restricted yeah. by your imagination.
1: You no, can think Instead of, of being restricted as many... by, like, actually knowing a single thing about what's happening. Okay. It
2: might work if you're trying to tell the, the viewer what's going on, like, in A New yeah. Hope. So, here's Zach. the thing. The actual
0: plot of the movie, which I explained to you guys last night after we watched the film, d- the really actual plot funny. doesn't rely at all on any of the outside source material that doesn't exist. The film itself, the story, is very contained. It's just all the in-references and jokes that are built around it that kind of obscure that narrative are built on the outside source material. But once you break down the plot, it's entirely contained within the movie.
1: But it's still not contextualized for the viewer at all. You're expected to know what's going on. It's not like a sequel. I don't think you are. At least a sequel would would help you understand the plot of the sequel. It's like you were dropped 30 minutes into a sequel.
0: There are flashbacks. There are extensive scenes of exposition where they explain what the Oscillation Overthruster does and who people are to each other. There's an opening title crawl. There's all these things that, say, a Star Wars also gives to you. It's just Star Wars doesn't have that tunnel of in references to kind of obscure the narrative and confuse you which but, is part of what i a love new hope, about it
2: at least a new hope is a cohesive narrative that doesn't make fun of itself every two minutes Zach. see
0: and i understand that not being fun to other people but i find that really fun <laughs> because because i don't know In a large part of this i feel like this movie is kind of me <laughs> where,
2: <laughs> it is you
0: yes where i like it's you I, yeah I don't know. I feel like it's it's a le- wrapped in so many different layers of irony that it obscures everything that's going on. And I yeah, love that. Exactly. Um, of course you do. <laughs> George,
1: please come rescue me this instant. <laughs> George, George Kirshner. Um okay.
0: But all right. I mean, we'll, perhaps we'll watch RoboCop 2. Then you can get some Peter Weller and some Irvin Kirshner in your diet at some point. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Christian, did you have anything else you wanted to mention on Weekend Review or...
1: No, I mean, I was mostly indifferent to RoboCop. Three out of five, it was fine. That's it. <laughs> I really like good, RoboCop.
2: But... I've seen it before, and, you know, we, we thought it was hilarious at a lot of moments. Yeah. <laughs> we did not think yes. the adverts are, like, the best, most funniest parts. I can't even get over it. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I'll buy that for a dollar.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it happened three times. It and it was so funny all
1: three it, times. It
2: never got old or boring. <laughs>
1: this is true.
0: Yeah, RoboCop is a good movie. It's, it's kind of dated, but I think it's a lot cleverer than a lot of people think it is. Um, it's not like Commando or something, where the entire point of the movie is just that it's, it's dumb muscle. Um, but all right, let's move on then to...
1: Oh, I'm going to say it. Okay. Yes. Uh, the rundown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. One minute. Zach gives us numbers while we throw things about this film at him. Uh, Mitchell, yeah. are you ready to start us off? Yeah. Okay. Not sure what that voice was. Okay. <laughs> three, two,
2: one, go. The Marines. Uh, three out of five. Fog. Three out of five. Zach Eragus is Lieutenant Reno. Four out of five.
1: Not needing no stinking badges. Three out of five. I remember Mama by Oedipus Rex. Three out of five. The end of the world coming for the bag of Fritos in my pocket. Four out of five. Interrogating the boarhead. Three out of five. Sir Lawrence the dog. Four out of five. Roleplay. Three out of five. Getting one roll and thinking you're Barbara Streisand. Four out of five. The falling sickness. Four out of five. Evil rising out of madness. Three out of five. Madness rising out of evil. Four out of five. Let's go to the beach each. Let's go get a wave.
2: Three out of five adapting shakespeare for dogs four out of five no parts for superman in shakespeare
0: uh three out of five
2: mars being drier than an armpit in hell
0: three out of five
2: getting to the moon four out of five everything being a-okay there spaceman three out of five weird freeze frame ending
0: uh two out of five eyeliner four out of five marine abuse three out of five can't prove a good example by stabbing himself four out of five holy cow we did it oh my yes. goodness!
1: yes yes wow. it would be this yes. like two seconds to spare
0: all right Um, (sighs) Mitchell, you are next on the chopping block. What are we going to be talking about next episode?
2: Season 20 million two of chopped. (laughs) I'm on the chopping block now, I guess. Where Eagles Dare is a book adaptation, 1968. It's got everything about war stuff in it and it's got spy stuff and, so many layers of betrayal that everyone except me is going to be confused it's got richard burton clint oh, yeah. eastwood it's got the british and the germans and the germans and the british and everybody's everybody else and there's a train car thing that explodes or whatever the tra- whatever the the sky thingy the, oh, okay. oh a cable car okay well, well, well cable uh, car whatever did, did clint Eastwood go- direct this as well uh no it was uh brian hutton oh okay
0: all right well i'm i'm actually looking forward to that quite a bit so if yep. If you too are interested in hearing us discuss uh, what sounds to be a, a very entertaining movie, um, then, then please tune in next time for Cookie Pocket. This podcast is about film. Until then, goodbye and good night. <laughs>